Hello, I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yes. Yeah. And you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> Okay, it's that moment on Something Shiny where we come clean and we have to talk about winners and losers. Well, mostly winners. Angela, you know who you are. You won a contest during our soft launch. And you said you didn't even want a gift card. You just wanted a soft little shout out on our podcast. And this is it. Angela, there's a lot of people like you, but you're the only Angela that I know. You're a great friend and a really good therapist. Shout out. You're incredible. And I'm going to piggyback on that shout out too. If you are listening and going, how do I get in on that sweet, sweet contest winning action? Well, I know how. Go to somethingshinypodcast.com, subscribe to our mailing list, aka Team Shiny. You're going to get bonus content. You're going to get random cool stuff. We don't bother you too much, I promise. And you'll have access to things like live Q&A sometimes. And I don't know, contests where you can win a shout out or a gift card. I don't know. Right? I don't know. David, what do you think? Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going to take uh, the cartoon that is me right now and uh, go back to my little cartoon house. <laughs> and uh, without further ado, I'm walking in place on a podcast. <laughs> without further ado, here is this week's episode. In this episode, we're joined by my husband, Bobby who also has ADHD. Thank you, Bobby, so much for being here. Um, and we're going to be talking about something called group relations theory and a psychoanalyst named Wilford Beon. I know, so exciting. I promise by the time we get to it, you will think it's, hopefully think it's pretty cool. Um, but the point is, is that he talked a lot about how groups work and how people interact with each other when they're trying to get work done. And he talked about something called task versus emotionality. Task being the thing you're trying to get done and emotionality being the assumptions, um, emotions, like all the other stuff, the feelings you have about work and all the stuff that goes into you preparing to get your work done. Does that make sense? It's the task, and then there's the emotionality. Like, the two coexist, but, like, there's a tension there. So we talk a lot about this, and it connects a lot to ADHD. If you were enjoying me talking about this rabbit hole, you can discover even more if you check out our show notes or visit our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. As always, chock full of lots of fun facts and information and lots of nerdy psychology stuff, too. Anyway, without further ado, isn't there a right way of doing something? I'm totally into this whole let go mm -hmm. of doing it the right way. Like, let go of the how, focus on the what, mm -hmm. and but then embrace how do we your do how. It the right way? But also, 
how do you know? How do you do it the right way? I guess maybe. That's fine. I don't. I don't want to do it. I don't need to do it the right way. But if you could tell us how to do it the right way. (laughs) But I think that's the crave process. But that's the crave, right? Like, how do I know I'm not doing it wrong? Yes. Oh my gosh! If I could just have that on a wall and and have everybody sign it or something i don't know oh i'm smiling so hard because i think <laughs> i think this is going to hit you maybe like a ton of bricks okay uh, i'm bracing myself because I got an water. imposter someone that believes that they're they're an imposter on some level believes that they need to be perfect on the outside mm-hmm. so no one will see that they're a mess on the inside mm-hmm. and so we start thinking that all the habits and things we do have to look stereotypically perfect for everyone else they have to fit into the right mold they have to be the right thing mm-hmm. or people will know we're wrong and i think What's so important for everyone to start realizing is if you've seen one person with ADHD, you've seen one person with ADHD. And the most important thing we can do is start coming out of the, the shadows. One in either one in eight or two out of ten, however we want to say this, people mm-hmm. have an LD or ADHD in this mm-hmm. in this country right now. This is a whole rabbit hole you can discover and enjoy to your heart's content. If uh, you check out our show notes or you can visit our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. As always, chock full of information, lots of nerdy psychology stuff, among other things. Um, Check it out. Anyway, back to what we were saying. And of all of those people, all those people believe that there's something wrong with them. So they don't talk about how they succeed. They don't talk about their accommodations. So they think they're cheating. Mm-hmm. One student I know had extended time, but didn't tell anyone else they had extended time because they didn't want to look like a cheater. Mm. It's about all of a sudden not invalidating ourselves for doing it right, for us focusing on the task. Is a task and a test really to take it in 20 minutes or is it to take the test at one time and do it? Is it the information or the speed? What's the task? <sighs> <laughs> we gotta get these bricks off of Isabel. There's this a ton is, of them. They're, they're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, this is because, and I, oh, I feel like sorry. We're, I just like, want to like like just give you a hug so, here because it's like so it, many hugs. Yeah, it's so it's so real because we we are like for the longest time I I would go out and give talks in front of like lots of people, mm-hmm. um, and I would always think that I needed to sit down and spend three weeks writing every single talk that I did. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I didn't get anxiety to do the talks and I'd done enough of them where I couldn't really work on it until I got on the plane. Mm-hmm. And so I would write a three hour talk on a plane ride to mm-hmm. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I would write it mm-hmm. and I would be done with it inside of two hours. Mm-hmm. I just think I want to come clean. Like I want to be really clear that I couldn't have just miraculously written this talk in three hours on a plane if I hadn't spent hours working on it before. I spent the first couple years I had done this talk, I spent hours and hours, days working on the talk. Something happened that third and fourth year where I didn't need all that time, but it was the mastery that I had worked on that helped me now know what to do in a three-hour period of time. All right, now, back to us. Mm-hmm. And so I would write a three-hour talk on a plane ride mm-hmm. to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I would write it. And I would be done with it inside of two hours. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't tell anyone is that I wrote this three-hour talk mm-hmm. on the plane. I felt like they would judge me and they would think that this wasn't worth it. And how could you take all this money and give this talk and only spend three hours working on it? Never mind how many people told me it was a really good talk. Mm-hmm. Never mind sure, how many sure. people liked what I said. Yeah. But I thought I 
worked. I didn't work on it long enough. I'm using air quotes on, mm -hmm. on a podcast. I don't think that works <laughs> at all. But I didn't work on it long enough. But yeah. it was great and it worked. Gosh, can I just like pause on that and honor the fact that I do the same thing all the time. I'm smiling because like, for example, someone will ask me to do something. I'll do it like almost right away because that's like, I guess, an accommodation that I do. I actually, if someone tells me to do something, I do it immediately because I know I will never do it unless I right, do it right away. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll do it and then I hope and pray that they'll never check when I did it, like in the file. And I wait like two weeks to send it until more, like, for example, on this like group collaborative effort, I purposely, I'll get it done right away. And then I won't send anything for like two weeks. Cause I wait until somebody else sends it in to like, so it seems like, oh yeah, I was working on it too for the same reason. Cause I'm like, there's no way that they will give me any, like the time of day. Cause I got it done in like 15 minutes. Or right that after somebody might be like, this is amazing. You did this in a day. You know what I mean? Like they admire you that much more. I don't know what's scarier, honestly. I don't know what's scarier. But it's also like doing work like everyone else does work. Exactly. Yeah. So that you're not seen as different or deficient. Yeah. yeah. Or like, and I mean, I'll flip it. It's also, it's not just different or deficient. It's also, I think difference could also be that sometimes because of the hyper-focus, it comes easier. And then I mean, I, I will own that I internalized that across my childhood is this message of like, there's no way you did this this quickly. Yes. There's no way you must like the cheated idea. Like you must have done this different. Like there's something off with you because, and then kids feeling like, like no one likes the kid who get, you know, raises their hand first or like gets the answers in first. And so then they do it like you do, they slow it down. Oh, you know constant, I mean? like, perma slow it yeah. down. Never, you slow yourself down so much that you can't like, you know. There's a there's a big piece of this that like what I've noticed in my time on this earth working with people with ADHD is that if it's easy for the ADHD person, they'll think that it's easy for everyone. And that if it's hard for the ADHD person, they'll believe it's easy for everyone else. <laughs> it's, it's like... I remember when I was switching my major from education to psychology, one of the things before I switched my major, my professor was like, what? you're really good at psychology. Like, why don't you do it all the time? Like, you could be, you major in this. Like, you'd be successful. You know, I'm a successful therapist now. So obviously, they were right. <laughs> like, they were on to something. But what yeah. I, my response then was like, but this is just easy. Yeah. And I thought I shouldn't do it because it came easy. I didn't even think that behavioral psychology might be difficult. I thought this was like the, the gimme class. Yeah. No, I totally, I'm smiling so hard because like, I literally almost talked myself into graduate program doing something much more boring because I was like so convinced there's no way I could just like sit and listen to people for, you know, like that. This is just too easy. Like, seriously? It's people, too easy. People want like you to do that. That doesn't make sense to me. And now we go to task versus emotionality. There's emotionality and there's the task. The task is whatever you're working on. And emotionality are like the assumptions, beliefs, and things that make us feel more comfortable but aren't necessarily the task. Sometimes emotionality takes charge, and that's when we don't work on things. We can avoid things. Whenever that happens, we can get grounded when we refocus on the task. Sure, I'm folding laundry, but the task is mowing the lawn. I need to go attend to the task. Now, I'm going to go attend to the task of mowing the lawn. You sit here and listen how there's no right way to do things. Which is, what is the task? Which is, be, do a good job. What do you want to do? Do you want to do something that you enjoy or do you want to do something that's hard? Yeah. 
Oh, I missed that one too. <laughs> I just got to embrace that I'm not going to have a right answer and that's okay. There, there isn't one. Yeah. There isn't one. Yeah. Yeah, I've been soaking this in too. I mean, this has all been like, I don't, I, don't, I have a hard time reading. I, I preface that by saying I've been listening to this book. I say I've been reading this book, but I always feel like I need to apologize because I oh no, I haven't really read it. I'm listening to it. But ultimately, that's how I that's how I read books. Yes. Yes. Um, Let's like pause and like reclaim this. Yes. Yes. So I was reading this book with my ears and and all and, and a lot of these things and it's it's a, you know, kind of a businessy self self-help type book and it, a lot of these things that I've been listening to that that have all been, you know, striking me have been a lot of things that we've been talking about tonight. Mm. Just that idea of, you know, you think that it's the procrastination that's that's the problem. No, that's not the problem. It, the problem is you having you judging yourself for not doing it. It's it's that's how that's how the machine operates. You're not going to try to rebuild the machine so that you can deprogram or 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 program out procrastinating or program out how you how how you're just naturally going to do things. You reprogram so that you allow yourself to if you're thinking about it like a like a computer program that that line of code isn't going to change if you change that line of code it's just going to screw everything up so you got to keep that line of code in so well what are you going to do to make sure that you know that everything's smooth and everything's running running together and 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 as efficient as it as it can be mm. so that the emotion behind it doesn't doesn't fuel it i kind of like that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it makes me feel like we're not too yeah. far off no mm-hmm. no but I mean, but also too, it's just a lot of also thinking about this differently because that's all businessy. But thinking about it, because it is sometimes it's like, oh yeah, no, the the business stuff can can parallel over real life, and real life can parallel over business stuff. But I feel like hearing this in terms of just how, just even just like thought processes mm-hmm. is, is is great. What what you're hearing too is like a, a, a reclaiming of this label, the task versus emotionality. Um, it comes from a place, and I don't know if this is important and, or we need to edit out, like this might not be important at all, but it comes from this place, uh, I believe it's Wilford Bion. Uh, he was a group dynamic psychotherapist that did a lot of work in groups back, you know, in the 1940s. Are you serious? And Hold so, on. Wait, no, I just want to pause on this. Of course I know this. And this is ridiculous because, hold on. Hold on. What's what's, what's going on? What's I'm happening just, I'm here? having a moment. I'm having a you moment. Just, you're seeing how this is connected. I totally. So for those of us I, not I, in the world of, of psychology and. I'm and, just going to sit here and cross my arms and shake my leg a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just to just to, to just finish and then I kind mm-hmm. of, I would love you to jump on the, mm-hmm. in on this. So you just so you were talking about there's a guy so who in the 40s there was somebody named Beyond. Beyond. And what he what he really talked about in terms of work groups and what would differentiate a work group from a non-work group had to do whether or not the the group itself and the membership was working on the task or catering to the membership's emotionality, getting distracted. And they would notice when the task or when a group gave off task, whether or not they were working or was no longer on target if they were no longer working on the task. And so task led all groups. It led all direction of groups. You would, you would, you'd say, I need to build a group. And then Beyond would say, what's the task? He would say, I've got eight great people right here. He'd say, what are you doing? And then you're like, I'm trying to build a bridge. And he's like, okay, like how high is the bridge? He would get as much detail as he could so he could help refer to a more effective group. 
are you saying like 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 uh, where, where people are more worried about what other people are doing in the group or how everybody else is performing versus how they perform together or what they feel their purpose is for the task? So my understanding of this, and you can stop me if I'm off, is that so the reason I got so excited is because I like David, you and I share like a little bit of a nerdy interest in this, I think, in having like helped with some classes on this topic and like group dynamics, group dynamics. Yeah. Which is and which connects to group relations work, which is a whole other field of like studying how groups function, right? And and how is it that like when a bunch of people come together, why is it that we do the things we do? Like explain this world, like help us observe it and then experientially understand it. So my understanding of it too is that if you imagine the task versus emotionality, it's actually like task is like what you say you're doing. Emotionality is anytime you get a group of people together, they're like there is automatically this idea that the group itself wants to survive, that we need to like keep going no matter what. Like literally the second the three of us agreed, like we're going to do a podcast, there's like this bond that forms and we're all like, oh, like keep it going, keep it going. And so all of our fears that come from jumping into a group, that committing to something, um, starting a task, worrying we won't finish it, worrying we'll fail, thinking about all the times in our own life history, like, you know, like pick all the predispositions everyone has and all the ways that they cope with those, these fears and the, oh, and also the joys and the hopes and ah, like all of that is always simmering. It's perma simmering in all the groups. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the trick is also like, yes, you want the group to be focusing on the task, but you also need to have a space to like, essentially my understanding to build the community. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Our dog <laughs> just like hocked a loogie. She, she does that. I had to pick her up because during this, this like revelation, if you could hear snores, Snorzy Magoo back here. <laughs> snores. Oh, Snorzy The only place that she wants to be is. So, so yeah. yeah. So it's like simmering, right? So like part of it too is that you can't, like I also have heard it defined as like work versus relationship. Like you you also need to in a functioning group, you can't like be all work, no play. You can't be entirely task oriented with no room to like actually build and bond and grow and work on that stuff. Cause that stuff's real stuff too. It's just not the same thing as what you think the task is. It's not the task. Is Am I making up all this stuff? No, I've you're totally said? right. You're, okay. you're doing an amazing job talking about basic assumption groups. and Exactly. Absolutely. But but what we're doing in the context of ADHD and how much more clear task versus emotionality becomes in group dynamics, task versus emotionality is a very complex, nuanced thing. Yeah. It's never a black or white one thing or the other. Yes, yes. In ADHD, it is. Oh, that's going to be hard to get on board with. It. it let's take our time, and, and maybe I'll be wrong. <laughs> and, and 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 anyone listening, I, you know, I don't have to be. It's not a monolith, but mm -hmm. this is where we're talking about the task that you're trying to orient and structure something around is the task. The complexities and accoutrements that we want and how we want to accomplish the task is our emotionality. And often our emotionality is coming from a place of proving that we've learned it or having to prove that we did it the right way. So we say, I went to the library, I did it on the computer, I did all those things when you already knew it from class. So you're doing it 
to prove to others as opposed to just embracing how it is you work any like you work however work. however we get caught up in emotionality it's not based on task however however i get caught up in the amount of times that i had to sit there and breathe and pretend to meditate even though that wasn't what was going to be effective for me <laughs> sure that's not how i i know now that i can relax by walking for miles mm. if i believe that i could only meditate by sitting and breathing and observing my body I would truly be believing that I'm doing everything wrong. My body doesn't respond to that. Yeah. So for me, the task of go be mindful and go relax, if I were to stereotypically try to push myself to learn how to meditate, like most people, you know, meditate, I wouldn't be doing it. But now I can articulate like where I like my foot falling and what concrete feels best and where I like smells. It's about how I can find ways to be mindful in an effective way, not the one way task versus emotionality. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right, just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks.